the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Hans von Spakovsky. Hans, welcome back to America First. Sebastian, thanks for having me back. Uh, Is it fair to say that in the media coverage over the suggestions, the demands related to the election that will occur in less than 60 days' time, there's been a... A lack of accuracy in terms of what people are talking about. Is that, is that a good place to start in terms of the challenge? Yeah, it, it is. In particular, this, this constant push by the media that mail-in voting is just wonderful and there is just absolutely no risk whatsoever of fraud or any other kind no of No record. Never it. happened before. No right. such thing as election right. fraud. Right. All right. So let's, let's start with the taxonomy because I think in the majority of cases – Sometimes, maybe the majority of those cases, willfully, there is a conflation of absentee voting. I've done absentee voting in the past and mail in voting. So let's start with the 101. Let's have a tabula rasa. These are not the same things, are they, Hans? No, no, they're not. Um, five, five states in the U.S., uh, including Washington, Oregon, have made what I consider to be the unwise decision to have all male elections so you don't vote in person and what happens so no polling stations no polling stations and what happens each election is uh election officials mail a ballot to every registered voter now the problem with that is that uh voter registration rolls are in terrible condition all over the country states don't do a very good job of cleaning up the roles. Dead people, wrong addresses, people who've moved away, people who exactly. aren't registered, who are registered. Yes. And so when you mail a ballot to folks like that, uh, for, to, that arrive at people's homes where, where that particular voter doesn't live anymore, it gives the potential for those um, votes to be those ballots to be collected and sent in. And I, and I, I, meaning, I just, meaning to be fraudulently filled out. Exact, exactly right. Um, I, I'll give you a quick example of that, if I may. Yeah. Um, I actually have a colleague at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, she grew up in Washington State. She moved away from the state eight years ago. She's no longer Not yesterday, resident. eight years ago. Her sister <laughs> moved away ten years ago, yet every single election, her parents tell her that a ball- ballots arrive in the mail addressed to her and her sister. They could easily vote those ballots, mail them in, they would be counted. The state of Washington would not know there's a problem. Because because they're on the rolls. They're on the rolls. They think they're still a resident of the state. Um, uh, similarly, uh, you know, the whole problem with mail-in uh, ballots is there's almost no auth- authentication. Yeah, they're supposed to do a signature comparison, but it's very easy to get around that. Um, they don't have much time to process millions of ballots. So that's extremely superficial and could easily be gotten around. Again, to just give you a quick example, um, in Oregon, which has all-male elections, some years ago, a professor at one of the universities did a survey in just one county, 
5% of the people they surveyed admitted that somebody else had filled out their ballot. 2.5% admitted that somebody else had signed their ballot. Now, that may sound like a small percentage, but if that was true in uh, every county in the state, that's tens of thousands of ballots. Right. And the professor who did the survey said she actually thinks it's probably more because people don't like to admit that they did something illegal. Well, and what were the margins in Florida in 2000? Yeah, a couple of hundred. A couple of hundred. Right. Uh, Now, that's different from the rest of the country. 45 states, District of Columbia, people vote in person, but you can vote by absentee ballot. In many of those states, you don't need an excuse. In about a dozen states still, you need an excuse, such as you're too, you're too sick, you're physically right, disabled. Or work doesn't permit you. A- exactly. And what you do there, though, is you have to fill out a form, yeah. provide the, some of the same information you provided when you registered, sign it, and send it in, and then, abs- and then the election officials will send you the ballot. It's not a perfect system, but at least there's, a, there's some ability, again, to try to authenticate that you're a real voter and you're the person uh, who who has requested. Well, also, you're ballot. not relying upon a faulty electoral roll. Exactly. And a voter right. has said, hey, I want to vote and I can't. Yes. And they make the conscious decision to request that mail-in va- ballot. That, that's right. Now, how about this 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 shocking concept that I hadn't even thought of? I, I you know, This is so rife for potential abuse before we even get to things like ballot harvesting. But what the president intimated last week... What is to stop somebody who has voted early in receipt of one of these automatically generated mail-in ballots and sent in their vote for a candidate, say Joe Biden, and then on election day, in a state that still has polling stations, decides to go in and vote again for that candidate, doubling the vote? What, what, What are the defenses against that? Well, the only defense is if election officials uh, are good at their job. In other words, uh, when an absentee ballot comes comes back, you know, it's mailed back, uh, do they check that person's name off the voter registration list so that on election day when officials check and the person comes in the poll, they'll be able to know that the person already voted, and that just depends on uh, how good they are. And if the absentee ballot comes in very close to election day when they're scrambling to try to get the voter list out to all the precincts, uh, they might not be able to get that information in time to prevent that from from happening. But look, what I'm more concerned about with absentee ballots is uh, those are the ballots that are the easiest ballots to steal, forge, alter, and otherwise use to try to steal an election. Now, we're we're not talking about highly sophisticated human artifacts, are we? This, is, this, <laughs> no. isn't, this isn't a $100 bill that, that is very difficult to forge. No, no, not at all. And in fact, there, there are two ways this can easily be done that have been demonstrated uh, actually by a recent case and by actually a recent story in the New York Post by a guy who admitted he'd been doing it for years. Yes, this just broke. Right. Um, in North Carolina two years ago, a congressional race was overturned. Seven people have been criminally charged. The vote harvester in that case, the political consultant who was doing this, um, look, they would go to people's homes and say, hey, fill out an absentee ballot request form. We'll deliver it for you. He would take that form back to his office and photocopy it before sending it to election officials. Then when the absentee ballots arrived at people's homes, they would go back there to collect the ballot. To pick it up. Uh, 
sometimes if they didn't apparently if they didn't like the vote um they would alter the vote or it, sometimes they would just pick up the ballots before the voter had even signed it and because they had a photocopy the voter signature they could easily forge it they they altered enough ballots to alter the outcome of the election and in a in in a uh, the case in the New York Post this guy who's been doing this for years said look they go they collect the absentee ballots from the voters that have already put in envelopes and they simply steal a uh, steam open the envelope they have already photocopied blank ballots they refill it out they then can sign it because they've got the signature of the ballot reseal the envelope send it in and this guy admitted they've done this in multiple elections and have stolen thousands of votes doing but that. but hans we are told repeatedly nay every day by the legacy media by the establishment press that election fraud is non-existent. It is a non-issue. Yeah, but that's actually, it's kind of weird, uh, Sebastian. That's a recent occurrence. Um, the, the press actually used to cover this kind of thing, and it was only, it's only in the last 10 years that the progressive left, in order to oppose election reforms like voter ID, started pushing this narrative myth that there's no voter fraud in the U.S., and therefore there's no reason for any of these. And the media just kind of picked pick this up and has run with it, ignoring the actual facts. Talk to us about the dangers of rejection rate and the involvement of the U.S. Postal Service in terms of accuracy when it comes to mail-in voting. Well, look, if you vote by mail, you're risking uh, your ballot not being delivered in time. And we know that's a problem because uh, that's happened in almost every recent primary in in the U.S., and it's been happening for years. Uh, There's just a story out within the last day or two about 3,000 voters in Georgia complaining that for the August 11th primary, they never got the absentee ballots they requested. And a local Fox station there actually apparently uh, obtained a photo of these ballots sitting in a postal facility the day after the primary. They'd never been delivered to the voters. Wow. Uh, Wisconsin, as you know, had its primary on April 7th. The inspector general of the Postal Service issued a report about 3,500 ballots that were found in a mail processing facility after the election. They'd never been delivered. Um, The other uh, problem is, look, uh, the Postal Service sometimes neglects to postmark an envelope. Right. So if they don't postmark the envelope, when election officials get it, they're going to reject your ballot because they don't know if you mailed it. In time. In time. Um, this is such a big problem, plus the problem of people not completing all the information that's asked for when you fill out an absentee ballot, that the rejection rate for absentee ballots is much higher than the rejection rates for votes you cast in person. Um, the new, Again, the New York primary, <laughs> election officials there rejected one in five of every absentee ballot. That's a 20% right. reje- and, rejection and, and, and rate. When we're talking about margins, yes. where it could be 1%, 5% margin, 20% of ballots is, that can turn an election around. Well, uh, the election officials in that New York primary rejected over 80,000 ballots out of New York City alone. What, what was the margin of victory in Pennsylvania for the president in 2016? Was it about 40,000 votes? Right. <laughs> and, then, and then what happened in Patterson, New Jersey? Well, Patterson, New Jersey, uh, again, unwisely decided to have an all-male municipal election uh, a month or so ago. And uh, they've had all kinds of problems with their absentee ballots, everything from 
ballots not being delivered in time for people to vote them to four locals already being criminally charged with absentee ballot fraud to the point where uh, a judge has ordered one of those elections to be run again because there was so much potential cheating and other problems in the election. So where, if we if we pull back to 30,000 feet, right. I, I want, let me ask you as a former FEC commissioner, somebody who eats, drinks, and sleeps this material, uh, in, in principle, if we weren't less than two months before an election, if we were four years out, right. what would your attitude be to mail-in voting? Would you still say the same things? I, I would still say the same things because, one, the rejection rate is higher than uh, votes cast in person. Uh, you have misdelivery and undelivery problems by the Postal Service. Uh, you have the fact that um, mail-in ballots make people subject to pressure and coercion in their homes. Right. Which, uh, remember, every state has what they call... The, the, the secrecy is lost. Exactly right. And that, that's an important factor. Remember, in every state, they have what are called anti-electioneering laws. It means that candidates and party activists cannot campaign inside polling places or yes. near polling places. Right. Those laws don't apply to people's homes. I haven't even thought of that. And so that means that uh, people can show up at your front door and try to coerce. Heck and to you. Bad Pressure you. you. Intimidate you. And we have seen that happen in proven absentee ballot fraud uh, fraud cases, which, by the way, um, it, it makes you wonder why are people on the left pushing vote harvesting so hard? Let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's talk about vote harvesting. In, in the first or the second COVID care package, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, wanted to federalize ballot harvesting across right. America. What is ballot harvesting? Well, remember, in the states where you can vote by absentee ballot, you can either mail it back, you can, the voter, personally deliver it to election officials downtown, or usually a member of your family can deliver it for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, But unfortunately, in about half the states, they have legalized what's called ballot or vote harvesting, which means that anybody can deliver your absentee ballot. So what does that mean? It means that candidates, campaign staff, party officials, party officials can show up at your front door and say, hey, I'd be happy to deliver your ballot. And what's to stop a party official from the other party just junking it if they know you're from Absolutely the other party? Absolutely nothing. I mean, where did this begin? The insanity of this. Well, they believe it gives them a way to win elections. And, and think about the, how completely hypocritical this is. You know, this was in, in uh, as you said, Nancy Pelosi's bill to supposedly deal with COVID-19. We've got to legalize vote harvesting. Federally. What, federally. Federally. What in the world could spread COVID-19 faster than saying, states, you have to allow strangers to go from door to door to and door to neighborhood to collect absentee ballots? Wow. That tells you that there were political goals in doing this had absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19. Where, where can you uh, harvest ballots right now outside of California? Well, for example, well, there's 27 states in the District of Columbia. So it's a lot That's of places. That's incredible. Now, North Carolina bans it, which is one of the reasons they were able to detect the fraud that was going on in the congressional race there in 2018. Incredible. This isn't about the coronavirus. No. This isn't about the probity of our peaceful transition of power. It's politics, and it shouldn't be, and it's a threat to our republic. 
Um, for me, this is rife with challenges in the courts yes. and the danger that we won't have a result for the election for months or even years. Am I, am I being crazy? No, no, not at all. In fact, um, look, I've, I've been in this game for a long time, Sebastian. There have been more lawsuits filed this year already before the election than any time I can ever remember. Really? There's uh, been 160 lawsuits filed so far, almost all exclusively by the left. And the, On what basis? What, with what complaint? Uh, they've, they've been doing everything from trying to force um, an all-male election in states to uh, getting rid of the, the safety protocols that are in place for those. They have filed requests saying states should not uh, require witnesses, witness signatures, to witness the signing of the absentee ballot. They should stop doing signature comparisons. On what basis do they say that you don't verify a voter's signature? What's the logic? I'm just curious. Oh, it's just somehow it's discriminatory. You're going to keep people from, from <laughs> Verifying voting. the vote is discriminatory. Right. right. So it's just a whole series of things. Like, oh, and, and uh, part of those lawsuits have been trying to say that uh, preventing or, or banning vote harvesting by third parties is uh, discriminatory also. So they've been pushing this in these, these lawsuits all over. But here, here's what I think may happen. Um, and you can look at two states to, to see how this could happen. One, actually, Minnesota, 2008, and New York in their recent primary. Yes. Okay? It took New York six weeks. Yes, six to, to weeks get a result. <laughs> to, to count the ballots. And remember, the turnout in primaries is generally lower right. than in general elections. The election officials just were not equipped to handle that many uh, paper ballots. Um, take that six weeks and translate that, or, or multiply that to states all over the country. But then what happened after the end of the six weeks? All this litigation was filed over all the ballots that were rejected. And so then you have uh, judges coming in and saying, well, yeah, okay, maybe these absentee ballots didn't comply with state law, but you need to count them anyway. So there's litigation over the outcome and and the rejected ballots. Um, like I said, think of that happening all, all over. Well, well, describe it to us. If that's one primary in New York, then what are we talking about if we scale it up to, well, let's say, let's say only half of it, 40 million mail-in ballots. What are we talking about in reality? I mean, we're talking about... Just the machinery of Yeah, the, just the machinery of counting it before you even get into the litigation. But look... Um, the, the legal general behind all of this is a lawyer named Mark Elias. Mark Elias is the DNC's main lawyer. He was Hillary Clinton's main lawyer. And he's the guy that uh, spearheaded the overturning of the 2008 Senate race in Minnesota. And if you may recall what happened there, remember, Norm Coleman won. It was the incumbent, won on Election Day, 700 votes. Al Franken, the losing Democratic candidate, promptly fought, uh, filed suit. Yes, and what they did was they swarmed counties all across across the state, and they contested all of the absentee ballots that had been rejected for not complying with state law, and they convinced enough election officials and the judges to count ballots in Democratic strongholds that had been rejected, and they managed to get enough ballots to overturn the election. And I think that it was a very successful legal model, and I think that's what they may try to use in other states in this election. So they have a game plan. Yes. My question is, 
do the good guys have a game plan? Please enlighten our millions of listeners and viewers. What happens in the worst case scenario and the result of the election is disputed? Well, let's assume I, let's assume that what happens is that, um, you know, most of the states have determined the outcome. They've awarded their, their electoral college votes, but there are still enough states outstanding that don't have not yet determined the outcome in their states that neither candidate has won the 270 the electoral college votes needed to win. And it's January 20th. Um, under the 20th Amendment, uh, Congress was given the power to pass a statute that says what happens under those circumstances. And in, I think it's 65, they, 1965, they actually passed a statute. There's a federal statute that says that if no president or vice president has been uh, determined as of January 20th, which is the end of the president's term, the acting president shall be the speaker of the U.S. House upon the speaker's resignation from the House. Acting president. Acting president. Meaning? Meaning will only remain acting president as until, long as? until the outcome of the election has been determined. Is there any time frame for that? Could it be the next four years? It, it could, yeah. But <laughs> that, So, so uh, uh, assuming that Nancy Pelosi is reelected to her congressional seat, which seems... Pretty certain. I think she got eighty-six percent of the vote in her. <laughs> it's like Saddam Hussein, right? Eighty-six yeah. percent. That's pretty and, good. And she is then reelected by her her caucus because the House races have been determined. Then, yeah, she would become the acting speaker. If if there is no speaker in the House, the next in line is the Speaker pro tem of the United States Senate, which it currently is, I believe, Charles Grassley. Now. Let's talk about the Electoral College. What is yes. your experience as a former commissioner of the FEC? What is the functionality of when you say not enough colleges have reported in that scenario to bring us to the threshold of 270? What, I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic. Right. What is the integrity of these individuals in these offices? Because well, last, last election we had, remember, people were lobbying the electors to change their vote, to, change their vote <laughs> to not represent the people's choice in the college. Yeah, that, that was probably the biggest effort that had ever been made yeah. in our history. Uh, in fact, uh, f folks who were uh, Trump electors, many of them were harassed yeah. and threatened. Uh, it did not work. Okay. Um, there were hardly any electors who broke their pledge to vote for the candidates that they had promised to, to vote for. So I don't think that's going to happen. What may happen, though, is if, um, if, the, if the outcome of the vote for president and vice president is disputed, so, we, so it's like a Florida in 2000, we don't know which one, well, then uh, the electors can't, can't vote in December when they're supposed to vote because they don't know yet whether the Democratic slate of elect electors or the Republican slate of electors get to vote. But if if the math, I'm just, you know, blue sky scenario here. If the math is so determinative that there's been such an overwhelming majority for a certain candidate, even if there are many votes outstanding to be counted, could the college say, well, we've got enough here and we've decided and this is our delegate? Y yes. Okay. 
So, so yeah. it would have if to be the, a case by case. And if there's a specific landslide, they could say, well, we don't need to wait. Could they right. say, we don't need to wait? Right. To, to count the yeah, outstanding because, votes? Look, uh, uh, assume, assume, uh, assume one of the presidential candidates wins by 100,000 votes. That's the margin of victory. Right. But there's only 50,000 outstanding, outstanding ballots. absentee ballots that are being disputed. Well, obviously, that's not going to make a difference. Who so. makes that determination? Is it in each? It's the state. Each the the states. The you state. know, we have a very decentralized election process, certainly compared to other Western democracies. And elections in this country are are run by the states, and in fact, they're run down at the county right. county government level, which always surprises people, particularly from Europe. They don't believe it they, because yeah, yeah. there it's federal. I mean, it's exactly. all federally run, federal right. officials, federal appointments, completely right. different here. Quite crazy, really. I had to get used to it myself as, as an immigrant. Hans, in the last two minutes we have, talk to us about what's being done now to try and insulate the process from from corruption. We've got less than two months to go. What is, what, what, what is the, the, the federal government doing? What are the states doing? What is the RNC? Is anything happening right now? There's so much going on. It, it's 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 hard to. Write. First of all, the federal government doesn't have a a big role at, in right. this. As we said, the the biggest thing that the feds did was uh, Sebastian, as you know, when they passed the CARE Act to deal with COVID nineteen, they appropriated four hundred and twenty five million dollars, which has already been distributed to the states. The sole purpose of which is to help them pay any extra costs that arise. Uh, in the administration of the election because of COVID-19. Because of COVID, right. But what's happening in every single state right now is there is both litigation going on and political fights over, well, are we going to open polling places? Are we going to have an all-May election? How are we going to do that? So, In a, in a time when people are buying their groceries. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It, it, it is. I think people need to understand this. If if you can go to the grocery store, if you can go to the pharmacy, there's no reason you can't vote in person. And, in fact, we know that's true because states like Wisconsin, for, again, going back to Wisconsin, look, all they did was they made sure every polling place had all the sa- safety protocols in place that experts are, are recommending. They had line spacing for the voters. Already. And, and there was no spike in COVID-19 infections because of that election. Settled science, I think that's what the left calls it. He yes. is manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative at the Heritage Foundation, senior legal fellow. Follow him, H. Von Spakovsky on Twitter, Hans Von Spakovsky. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. President Trump has a record of accomplishments that's pretty easy to compile. Most significantly, he has brought the existential threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party into the sunlight. Trump has buttressed the Constitution. With two justices on the Supreme Court, 53 judges on the Federal Courts of Appeal, and over 140 District Court judges. President Trump's tax cuts, along with his massive deregulation, led to 3.5% unemployment until the regime in Beijing acted with criminal recklessness towards a virus that has devastated the world. Trump's brawling, slugging, tempestuous approach has worn down many, but his road is marked by these accomplishments. The elites are convinced he must be beaten. But Americans want their jobs and security back. They like the police. They like civil order. 
Yes, polling shows him behind 50-year D.C. insider Joe Biden. We'll see. I feel pretty good about President Trump's chances. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.